deadlifted 200 pounds like one time and I was like, that's it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I've done all that needs to be done. Yeah. It's a New Year's resolution right there. Yeah. I don't lift more than 200 pounds. No, I'm fine. Why? I don't know. <laughs> why? why? Why would you? I mean, why do you need to? I don't know. Maybe I need to rob a bank. Maybe you need to well, steal a car. Arnold would tell you that. <laughs> would tell you there's nothing like the pump. The, the, you know, there's nothing quite like. He's a big the fan pump. of the pumping. Yeah, <laughs> he is a big fan of the pumping. He is pumping iron. Ask around. Uh, <laughs> Gives you meaning, doesn't it? Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back after the new year to the good trash genre cast. We gather around the table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss unless it's January in a film studies course. This month, we will begin our annual anti-trash marathon through the month of January in which we watch movies that belong in film studies courses. And so we begin this month with uh, Jean-Luc Godard, who just passed away this year. Uh, his uh, Last year break, now. Well, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year. Time. Yes. Time. Uh, time is, um, it's a flat circle, I hear. Who just passed away. Uh, his feature debut breathless and written by francois truffaut if you know it didn't have enough prestige on the the, the title card so already it's got a lot going on for it um and we're going to talk about this great um opener of the french new wave is it the inventor of the new wave uh, whatever uh we'll talk more about that as we get there i'm sure but i'm still dustin i'm still arthur i'm still dalton and i still don't know what the theme for this damn anti-trash is arthur's been tight-lipped about it I'm I'm gonna sweat you about it right now. What's the deal? Is it the '60s? Is we know it's not French New Wave because we just did a France marathon like two years ago, so that's out. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's, is it? Is it all Jean Luc Godard all the time? No. Okay. Is it New Waves? No. Hmm. Is it the '60s, as Dalton mentioned? No. No. Hmm. Is it black and white? Is it that obvious? I think we'll just move along. Oh, you rapscallion. <laughs> uh, curse you, foiled again. Well, all right then. So in case you've never tuned in the show ever, and this is your New Year's resolution is to listen to more podcasts. We're which, sorry. We're sorry. Um, that this, Set your goals higher. Yeah, but also, you know, pick better podcasts. But um, I, won't, I won't say that. I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, it's either pick, you know, uh, either shop local or uh, listen to one of the big uh Big celebrities and their rambling nonsense. That's yeah, probably... Finnessy doesn't need your help over at the big picture. He's fine. Yeah, Dak Shepard's doing okay. Yeah, come listen to our show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, yes, we are local. We have all that local, you know, flaws. Money? <laughs> it, makes you, <laughs> yeah, it makes you a better person to listen to us, actually. Yes, indeed. Listen You're, local? <laughs> listen, listen. I, I mean, we need a bumper sticker now. <laughs> that is so good. We went down On that it. road once before. <laughs> Nonetheless, if this is the first time you've tuned into the show, this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that does mean that we are going to spoil Breathless. And we will find out just how out of breath Michelle ends up at the end of this film, which is like 60 years old. But nonetheless, uh, we will try to avoid spoiling it this way. We'll have a synopsis, which will be like a synopsis you read off Wikipedia. Then we'll move on to our thumbs up, thumbs down review. So there will be a small review portion to the show in which we just talk about whether or not the movie hits for us. And then we move on to a little game called Expanding the Syllabus, which might involve gentle spoilers of this film or other films in its orbit. And then finally, we will get down to business and there will be music to let you know the business has been gotten down to. And that's when you know all spoiler bets are off. So with that, you have now been warned, my friends. Arthur, could you please voice for us a, uh, a synopsis? A young hood and the girl he desires tangle with life, love, and the law. Oh, I like the tricolor in there. Very good. Very I good. also like that you didn't say that he loves because does he? He does not. Yeah, I don't think so. 
So, good, nor good does job, she, though. Arthur. She doesn't love him either, though. No. No. Not not even a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to go around. The, um, I've seen the movie before. Have uh, Is this version views for both I've of you? Just me. Just you. Well, Dalton, you get to the, go first. The first the first review of the new year goes to Dalton <sighs> J. Stewart. What Esquire. You, Esquire. No pressure. What, what think you of... Yes, Breathless. what do you have to say about what are the... <laughs> the most highly regarded <laughs> yeah. films of all films time. Films of all time. <laughs> do you think it's bad? What do I think? What do me? It was lowly old Dalton think about it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I gotta have an opinion about a Godard film. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, we did, I didn't plan on this bullshit. We started this show 10 years ago. 11 now almost. Jeez. Uh, uh, you know, if I had seen this film in 1960, I would have pulled my hair out. I would have lost my shit. I bet I would have been. I would have been running up and down the aisles, slapping people in the face, going, "Are you seeing this? Can you believe what they're doing up there?" But it's 2022. I've seen the movie Breathless like 500 times already. I've seen so many guy with a gun and a girl movies. I. It's just like I. I get it. The jump cuts are cool. The the philosophizing's cool. It looks great. Uh, they found a boxer and turned him into an actor, and I think he's really, really remarkably cast. Uh, he's hot as shit. What a hunk. Uh, J- John? J- not John. Gene. Gene Seberg. She looked great, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look great together. I mean, they're very photogenic, and you need them to be because they're the focus of the movie. It really is the two of them for most of the runtime. Um, and, and I think that their relationship is compelling enough to, to hold that 90 minutes. Uh, I definitely see how they uh, they got to a two-hour cut and were like, we got to lose half an hour on this thing quick. Uh, which, if you don't know, listener, that is part of the story on this. Uh, Godard uh, showed it to, I believe it was, uh, the guy that plays the writer in, in this film. Uh, uh, um, Melville. Jean- Jean-Pierre Melville, is that the right name? That is a name. I, th- I think that's him. That is the director. Yeah, I think it's I think yeah. it's him. Melville. Uh, M- I thought it was Melville. M- oh, I have to say it Frenchy. I don't know. I'm I, saying Melville. Okay, go ahead. Uh, but anyway, he he appears as this author in the text, and and he he sees one of the early cuts and is like, I, I don't know what you got to do, but you got to get half an hour out of here. And they couldn't figure it out, so they just like would remove stuff from the middle of scenes, which is how we end up with the jump cuts throughout the film. And when uh, Godard showed it to him, he's like, Genius! You did it! You pulled it off! And I gotta say. Yeah, it it's cool. Like it works really well. There's a reason it's gone on to be emulated uh, for the next sixty years. But as a work now, as a contemporary work, or with contemporary eyes, I guess I should say, you know, it's only so effective. Um, it's a fun time, uh, but also it's not a fun time. Uh, Michelle's a dick, uh, and a bit. you know, he's only so much. He reminds me so much of what's his doodle from Ohazard Balthazar. Uh, just a lot of scumbags. Balthazar, yeah, not Balthazar. No, <laughs> Balthazar can do no wrong. He's a sweetheart. He's 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 with the angels. He's a good boy. Yeah. What what was uh, the 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 hood's name in in that movie? I forget. I, forget I think it's Douchey McDoucherson. Oh, is that is that what uh, it is? Lay Doucherson. Lay Doucherson. Douchey Lay Doucherson. Arthur, you really D- Dustin presented you a t- presented us a terrible Reddit joke, and you really punched it up. <laughs> I'm giving you five comedy points for that. That's that does not go unnoticed. Uh, <laughs> well yeah, done. My, yeah, my point is, the 60s in France, the post-war France is just full of these dipshits, huh? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what was going on, what was in the water, but wow. I, I appreciate that, though. I, I do. Like, it's it's a much more realistic look at hu- human nature, at just like what young men are like. Uh, and I, I appreciate that aspect of this film, that it is, it is very much being a movie, uh, and it is interested in 
and how movies influence culture mm-hmm. and and how you know it's it is so tied up in the influence of american cinema on french culture in the post-war period like it's so wrapped up in that history but it does manage to feel very modern in in the ways that it's like mediating images in the ways that it's concerned with the consumption of culture and the interpretation of culture. And again, you know, it, it helps that it's a, a movie by a film critic. I think that's got a lot to do with like this film sort of inherent interest in, in the nature of culture. Um, and I, I think that that's some of the most effective stuff in the movie, but uh, I don't know, 90 minutes. I should not have been bored as often as I was. It's such a tight runtime, but I, I really did lose me a couple of times. That said, it's really effective filmmaking and you, you can see the fingerprints on the rest of cinema following it. Uh, so many American filmmakers, it's, it's such a weird cyclical nature of like breathless is inspired by American film noir, make something new out of that film genre. Uh, and then it gets reinjected back into American cinema as like this neo noir. It's mm-hmm. so interesting. Uh, you know, people riffing on each other and sampling each other's work. So again, like all of all this stuff, like I don't, I don't want to undersell that The movie is like, I'm not trying to say it's bad or, underwhelming but it is 60 years old and you've seen a lot of movies that are influenced by it so you can you need to kind of go in with that that knowledge and you'll probably have a better time than i did uh that said it's still worth a watch i you know i'm very glad i finally caught up with it it's just leave just left me a little cold because it's too influential because it's too influential and it's got too much of a reputation yeah it's just so well regarded and so heralded and it's I'm just too late to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, if I'd been there in 1960, I, I would have lost it. I, mm-hmm. I can see, I can see like what's important about this movie for sure. And again, it, it is a fun time. Uh, if you can get past the, the ways in which it's a bad time, mm-hmm. but that's part of the, you know, that's part of what's going for. So I, I can get on board with that, I guess. Okay. Arthur, was this what your second watch? Yeah. Second all the way through. I've seen clips and stuff here and there mm-hmm. uh, in the past, but yeah, second full watch through of it. Um, and I'm not, I'm probably not far off from you. Honestly, I might be a little, like a, smidge warmer on it than you are um but it's kind of that same idea is is it's for me it's it's kind of alongside citizen kane and yes it's important uh yes it's influential yes it's impactful uh but it's not still doing enough for me to blow my skirt up i guess you know what i mean Uh, i i appreciate a lot about it i admire a lot about it um, the editing in this man is, is just incredible. Uh, some of the stuff he's doing and you can kind of see the fingerprints and stuff, even like, uh, I've been rewatching parks and rec and, and the way some of those cuts are structured. I would here. not have made that pull, but you're a genius. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They're like, totally. just that way in which that almost like repeated, let's take that again. Let's take that again. Let's take that again. That you see in something like parks and rec and that mockumentary, mm-hmm. he's doing some of that stuff kind of here as well. Uh, and that kind of stuff is really cool to me. Some of the stuff he's where he's putting the camera, how he's tracking actors through the camera and uh, through depth of field and stuff like that is, is really fascinating for me. So I, I do think though, I'm a little warmer on it this time than the first time I watched it. Uh, I, I, I think there's a lot to like here, but there is that kind of thing. I mean, it's not so much a pacing, but it really is. We're in that apartment with him for a good chunk of the runtime. 20 time. minutes. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the movie. And, and yeah, Absolutely, there's yeah. some really good stuff there, but also it's like, okay, let's So much movie has already happened before that yeah. too. Yeah. And so there, there are those moments I have with it. Uh, I, I really do admire it though. I mean, I think it is, like you said, it's, you got to see it, especially I think if you're going to be into film and study film and talk about film, I think it's one you do have to kind of know, uh, and it's 90 minutes. So it's not like it's going to be a huge chunk of your day taken out. 
Um, I watched it on a kind of breezy Saturday morning when we'd ran some errands and came home and had 90 minutes to kill. Uh, and so I got it done. But I, I think, yeah, you know, you've already kind of talked up uh, Sebring and Michelle and, and their performances. Um, and it's, it's really them and then Godard's style. Uh, and there's some stuff I like, uh, especially with Bogart that takes mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. uh, throughout and some imagery there, uh, that I think is really cool. So there are things I admire about it. Wouldn't say I love it. It's not, you know, and it's in a w- weird place. Cause you know, obviously I've seen psycho a hundred times since because of the way it's impacted movies and, and editing as well. And I mean, 1960, we get psycho breathless and, you know, peeping time. I mean, what a year, mm-hmm. uh, especially in its impact in editing mm-hmm. um, on all three of those and, and perspective shots and point of view shots. Um, and so, you know, I, I can watch Psycho a thousand times. And I just fall in love with it. I'm mesmerized by it. And and this, I I admire it, but I'm not that taken with it, I think, is where I'm at. Just, it, it keeps me a little bit at a distance. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of that's just a, a language thing, because I am having to sure. kind of focus on that and make sure I'm connecting all the bits. And if I look away for a second, I, you, you could miss something. Mm-hmm. And so that that's going for it. But I think, I don't think you're off base though. I think a lot of it's an intellectual exercise. You know, I really do. So I think it leaving you cold makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause so much of it is, is wrapped up in that. Like what's bogey mean as a cinema icon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just giving you stuff and you're left to figure it mm-hmm, out. Totally. And, and I mean, that's what it is. So, right. Um, but yeah, that's me. Uh, that's my take on breathless. The second time through Dustin, where are you at with Jean-Luc Godard's breathless? How often have you returned to this? Film? Oh, I don't know. I probably watch it once a year. Intentionally, You know, I mean, and, yeah, like on purpose once a year. And then I watched it at least twice this year because I had to watch it for a class. I taught, I taught, I taught the film an intro to film. Gotcha. Cause we did new waves. Cause you do. Cause, well, cause you do. Yeah. yeah. You, you teach this class, you teach this movie in a class. You have to, I mean, it's just sort of, if you're trying to teach people about movies. I taught yeah. Citizen Kane. I taught Casablanca. I taught this movie. I taught Battleship Potemkin. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, these are the movies. These are the ones yep. you have to discuss uh, when you discuss film studies uh, to sort of riff off our show's uh, preamble. And uh, for me, I think uh, it really does work because it shouldn't work. Let's just think about what this movie is on paper. Snooty, French critic, does not like contemporary French film in the post-war period and says, I'll do you one better and I'll make my own movie, doggone it. And then it works. That is not supposed it's to pretty happen. pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it is a really, really uh, huge power move uh, there just as an idea. And uh, that we will uh, break all the rules and make this incredibly, I think, energetic, frenetic film. Uh, it, it, it's the kind of movie that just really, really moves in mm-hmm. a way. Even when nothing's happening, yeah. it really moves. Yeah. Uh, the way he's able to, I mean, you see that energy in the conversation in the car. You see the energy in that opening sequence where he's got the stolen car and kills a policeman. And the those kinds of moments, but even in those slower moments with that, with that still that jump cut editing and the way in which we're just sort of experiencing this life and it is elliptically edited in such a way that we don't know all the details and we're making again, sort of hypotheses mm-hmm. and guesses as to what's going on with all of that. And all of that really, really works for me. And so, and, and I love the score. I just love that jazzy oh, 60s yeah. score. Good. One of the highlights in the movie. And just really just keeps the whole thing moving. Uh, John yeah. Paul Belmondo is great. Gene Sebring's great. Um, I, yeah, uh, there's a lot to love. I even like uh, Godard's little cameo as a bad guy. Uh, the guy who uh, sees Michelle on the streets and then reports him as soon as he can. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like him being like, you know, the, uh, 
I don't know the his, the old guard yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um. The, the, there's a way in which it takes all the sap out of romanticism and sentimentality and tries to do something. It's not truth, but it's something that is uh, uh, about other parts of the lived experience that cinema tends not to celebrate. Uh, terrible people, bad people, uh, going about their lives who we might still have some sympathy with. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a way in which this movie deals much more in shades of gray than in blacks and whites, and uh, that's pretty new in 1960 in terms of filmmaking, and uh, continues to be uh, something that needs to be revisited over and over again, it seems to me, in cinema. So, sure. Um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. It's a lot of fun for me. And again, I just love the idea of a... Because there are critics who have tried to make movies uh, before, and they're not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is great. Uh, and I, I think it's just a, an interesting uh, moment uh, for this to happen. Of course, there's a number of other uh, critics that are working uh, in this new wave. Truffaut, who's working on the story. Claude Chabrol, who also worked on the story, um, also um, are moving from the Cahiers du Cinema magazine into this other thing uh, of filmmaking themselves. And I think I think it's just all incredible and very, very fun. Eric Romer is another name that is attached to this movement as well. So, yep, I dig it, and it's a lot of fun. So there you go, dear listeners. Our biases are generally pro. I clearly am the warmest on this particular film, and that's okay. You're also the snootiest. Uh, I'm not. Uh, it's objectively true. He only wanted. Look, I wore a cardigan to record, but he wore a blazer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he dressed for the occasion. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He dresses for the job he wants. He dressed like he's about to lecture us on this movie, uh, he's, he's, and he is going to. Yeah, he's already <laughs> begun it. Can't you tell? <laughs> I will do no such thing. Uh, we're going to move on to another part of the show called Expanding the Syllabus. Arthur, what's that about? Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts. Uh, that could be books and articles or tangentially related films and stories. Well, Arthur, are you prepared with the syllabus yes. this week? Well, then let's hear it. All right. Uh, so I just stuck with the uh, young and love and on the run uh, motif of Breathless. Sure. Uh, but I'm really struck, I think, by the ways in which this theme and, and genre uh, is kind of tied to maybe more, not necessarily art cinema, but I think at times artistic fair. Uh, but we're going to kick this off with Terrence Malick, and we got to take a look at Badlands. Sure. Uh, we got to take a look at uh, Mr. Sheen and uh, Miss... I struggling on names today my god is it, is it uh, Sissy Sissy Spacek. Spacek. Yeah. Right. as uh the bad boy and the girl who falls into his uh web and their run uh killing people and stealing stuff uh that's what you do really uh yeah uh is a fascinating movie uh, its dna is uh still seen in movies to this day another one which i'll talk about here in a few moments uh, but we'll start with Badlands there. Uh, we're going to talk about the rise of ultraviolence as uh, France was doing their new wave. Uh, we started reigniting some things over here. So we're going to talk about Arthur Penn. And we're going to take a look at Bonnie and Clyde Warren Beatty and Jane Font. No. I cannot. Oh, my God. Mia Farrow. I, Thank Mia Farrow. you. I, also, yes. I was like, I know her name. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah I'm having a hard uh, time. Anyway, too. yeah. Uh, another movie that makes great use of editing as well. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, realization of hyper violence and, and ultra violence is that kind of comes into American cinema in a big way. Uh, with this being one of those movies that does that. Uh, we would take a look at the 80s. We're going to talk about Jonathan Demme. We're going to talk about something wild. I've uh, never seen this one. Two lovers uh, meet up. And, Been on my catch-up list yeah, for a while. Get yeah. to dating, and then uh, a, a violent ex enters the fray. And so we'll take a look at that. Uh, we're going to take a look at David Lynch. We're going to talk about Wild at Heart. We're going to talk Nick Cage and 
Oh my god, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. I was ready for that one. Thank you. Yeah, you guys just keep keep names in mind when I say Note titles that you because I'm forgetting I'm... the women. I'm just you know. Ah oh boy. Well, <laughs> you got his ass. I mean, uh, look, I wasn't going to say if anything. Anything I am a Michelle. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'd take a look at Wild at Heart and David Lynch. And again, I mean, Malik, Penn, Demi, Lynch, uh, the, the movies that they're making aren't necessarily commercial fair in That's some right. ways. Uh, Something Wild is probably a little more so, but the other, and Bonnie and Clyde, but what Bonnie and Clyde does for cinema is, is pretty important. Uh, we'd talk Tony Scott and Oliver Stone. We'd look at true romance and we'd look at natural born killers uh, and the way we uh, kind of fetishize media and the news cycle and violence in media. And maybe something like Bonnie and Clyde gives birth to something like natural born killers and the through line there. Tarantino yeah. works on both those scripts too, right? Yes. Yeah. True oh, does he do script on natural, uh, natural Born? He, he does on do True Romance. Did you say True Romance or True yeah. Lies? I thought you said True Lies for a second. Yes. <laughs> true Romance. He sold born. True Romance and the Natural Born Killers. I don't think he even has a credit on. Uh, I think he loses arbitration on that, but he definitely worked on it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but yeah, and obviously I thought a little bit about Pulp Fiction and Bunny and, mm-hmm. and that whole thing. And mm-hmm. uh, from there, uh, we jump up into a more modern era and we take a look at Queen and Slim I wondered uh, from if you, Molina Matsukas. I wondered if you get to yeah. that. Yeah. I haven't caught um, up with that one yet. It's a good movie. It's Yeah, in really interesting ways in which it kind of reframes this uh, politically and racially uh, and you know putting our characters against the wall unintentionally mm-hmm. and, and the way in which the uh, climate of the time challenges and forces this into being a movie about two people on the run uh, in really interesting ways. Uh, and finally, we would end in 2022 and we'd look at Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Yes. Uh, and which is very much young and love and on the run. Uh, not necessarily, I mean, kind of illegally, but it plays with that in a really interesting way in making it uh, more of a horror movie uh, mm-hmm. rather than necessarily a crime movie. Uh, but Bones and All, I think, traces its DNA back to Terrence Malick, back to Badlands, back to Breathless. Uh, in really unique and interesting ways. And so that's what we take a look. We take a look at this, I guess, subgenre of, of film uh, of, of young lovers on the run. And that's what I would look at and explore. Very cool, very cool. What does your syllabus look like, Dalton? I've also got sort of a subgenre thing going on over here. Um, I don't know if this is a class unto itself or it's a module in a class on postmodernism. But I wanted to talk about movies about movies. And not, not just like, you know, there's plenty of movies about the pictures, uh, you know, we've, we've got Babylon coming out in a couple of, or is, I guess out now is this yes. episode's being released. Kind of, sort of, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, plenty of movies about that. But I, I specifically meant, like, movies where the act of movie watching is influential to the characters within the text. Uh, so that's 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 why it's maybe a, a module in a postmodernism class. But so I, the meta movie? Not quite. Okay. Uh, so I, again, it's there's some mediation of images stuff going on. I don't know that it's necessarily meta though, right? Because it isn't necessarily about like. Well, I guess you could say that there's a meta ness to it uh, because it acknowledges the apparatus of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, some of the titles that I, I brought to the table are obviously uh, the the recent release, Fablemans. You know, very much about the the power of, of cinematic experiences. Uh, but definitely Scream as well is going to be on this this list. Mm. Uh, we talked a lot about violence in cinema uh, a couple of weeks ago when we discussed RRR, and I think this is a class where that's going to be a pretty hot topic of conversation, uh, is is different articles on you know the studies linking media depictions of violence to real-world violence, which will show you largely there's not a link to it, and yet you can anecdotally count to plenty of incidences where somebody did something very violent and then they, they had sort of an unhealthy fixation on some sort of media violence. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Outside of Scream, though, I think we'd, we'd get another uh, heavy hitter in terms of film uh, analysis, not film analysis, but film history, and do Vertov's Man with the Movie Camera, which nice. I know is largely sort of a cityscape movie, but I, again, it's it's engages with the role of cinema and society at large, and I, I think that that's kind of an interesting look, and again, maybe one of the first looks at it, because it's, what, like 1923? That's old as hell. Uh, yeah. Uh, so a very, very early look at like being kind of what is the role of movies in, in society? Like, what is this mediation of images doing? Uh, I think, obviously, we talk about this film, but I, I also want to do 1983's U.S. Breathless with Richard Gere, which Mark okay. Kermode prefers to Godard's film. Probably Kermode is so... Unu- his, his, I, love, I love the way he's his brain... He's a contrarian. Brain, I love the way his brain works. I, I, I guess maybe it's, it's too simple to call him a contrarian because he isn't always having that contrarian opinion, but he's off the beaten path more often than not i think and i like that about him not uh, yeah he, he's he's not scared to say something wild yeah i like that uh this this uh, last year's film pearl uh we could do x or pearl i like pearl better and i again i i think it's it's being set in the 20s uh or the 30s gives it sort of a classic hollywood uh, i think it fits a little better mode. with what you're doing though as well right i do like x more but i think pearl is doing that thing that you're hitting on exactly more. yeah it's there's more like somebody watches a movie and like takes the movie and it, it the goes wizard of Ozness of it yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Well, I haven't even seen the movie and I know that much yeah uh, the last action hero another film yes. that we're gonna do for sure um, cinema paradiso from '88 uh, uh, the Giuseppe Tor- uh, Tornatore movie. Hey, uh, I, a film that I know I should probably get to. People like this one. Uh, it's good. But it's very much about you know the power of movies and and how that these they can help uh, uh, build relationships. And to that, we would look at 2003's The Dreamers with Michael Pitt and Ava Green, um, another film about. Uh, France in the 60s, uh, but very much set against the uh, the 1968 student movements that were going on in Paris. And it's about film students, uh, cine- students who are cinephiles uh, and their their love of movies, bringing them together and the, the weird and twisted sexual games they play with each other. This is a film I have not seen. I'm very familiar with it, but uh, I've never gotten to it. But those are some of the, the, you know, as I was doing some research on what would we even look at in a class like this? Those were some of the, the titles that, that I came up with. But I, again, I think the focus of the class would be sort of uh, on this this exploration within movies about w- what do movies do to us? Mm-hmm. Because again, I think we spend a lot of time on like, how do you make movies? What's it like being behind the scenes? And I think there's just a lot less media or a lot less stories and films about sort of how our consumption of movies impacts us. And I think we'll probably talk a lot about that when we get into analysis with this film. For uh, sure. How would you teach? Well, how have you taught Breathless? Well, I'll tell you how I did, but this is not what I'm going to pick. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I just did an intro to film. And so when we moved into the 60s, uh, this is just that moment of changing time, uh, talking about new waves and auteurism, introducing that idea of auteurism uh, as mm-hmm. well was sort of what I kind of... Uh, shaped the viewing of the film around. Uh, now, that being said, uh, the way I would teach this for this podcast uh, in, in a hypothetical way is in a world cinema class in which we're doing uh, sort of a history of world cinema, okay. maybe, maybe a world, um, just, a, just a film history kind of course, and teaching the new waves. And so I'd want to pay, make it part of a module of looking at various other new waves, as there are several that have taken place. And uh, I think with the greatest emphasis, I would put on uh, British, Czech, French and American new waves. Um, there is a Japanese new wave as well, but it's a little bit more 
I don't know uh, the word I'm looking for. It's 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 the uh, it's 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 much more porous. The membranes of it are, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of its own thing there. And Not so, quite as firm dates and you know, movies to, and, to and, look and really at. a style even uh, mm-hmm. to sort of unify it. So I would teach this with the French New Wave. Obviously, we might talk a little bit about Chris Marker. We might talk a little about Elaine Renee, uh, Agnes Vardis, and those left bankers, and then maybe Truffaut as well. And Four Hundred Blows uh, would be something I would pair with this film in that section of it. Then we would move on and probably talk about the uh, British New Wave, which is most closely influenced by the French New Wave, and uh, do Carol Reisch's, um Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, uh, which is uh, with Albert Finney. It's a great, great high-energy movie about just a weekend uh, of a guy who you know works hard during the week, drinks at night on the weekends, and then eventually gets up and goes back to work. And there are other things that go on as well, and uh, relationships and all kinds of other interesting sort of slice-of-life kind of things that work on that movie, and uh, I really, really enjoy that film quite a bit. In the Czech New Wave, I think we would do Daisies, uh, which is a pretty experimental, surrealist, absurdist comedy. Um, it's of a piece in some strange ways uh, with Triangle of Sadness, which is the Palme d'Or winner from this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's much weirder, and that's a good thing. And so just looking again at uh, different Eastern European kind of styles there, and then the moving back across the pond to the United States, uh, our new wave is called the New Hollywood Cinema, sure. because we can't pick the same words, because American exceptionalism whatever uh but i think we'd watch uh, dennis hopper's easy rider uh for that and uh, that would be a good sort of sampling of major films in these various waves and just thinking about the ways in which cinema was changing in the 1960s so there you go dear listener your syllabus just got a whole lot longer we're now going to get down to business it's business it's business time So, Dustin, you just told us that cinema was changing in the 1960s, and this is a global change, not a regional change. Correct. So, can you can you give us a little bit more? I'll a little, tell you a little table setting. I'll tell you why. I mean, it's war, right? Uh, well, I mean, I think there is some of that. Uh, the generation sort of that did not fight in World War II mm-hmm. are coming of age and mm-hmm. uh, able to move professionally and tell different kinds of stories, have different sets of values. I think there is some of that, the beginnings of counterculture mm-hmm. uh, developing as well. But also, I think it's technological. I think it's the Bolex 16-millimeter camera is why we have the new wave, because it was able to shoot high-quality film, and it was portable, and you could go anywhere with it, and the general availability of cinema um, film stock. And so lots of people had opportunities to democratize film mm. in a way that was brand spanking new. And uh, with that, I think we were then able uh, to see people with different kinds of visions who were not uh, working under the same constraints as a classical Hollywood style or uh, that kind of um, industrial sort of film formatting. Because, I mean, again, we got UFA in Germany, and we've got Pathé in France, and, mm-hmm. and you know other major sort of film studios throughout the world also imposing a kind of style in the ways in which uh, films from the 40s to the early 50s were being told. And uh, people wanted to do something else. And it was, uh, again, sort of a prosumer kind of product, uh, the Bolex 16mm camera was. And so because of that technological development, it seems to be more than anything that... um, made it possible uh, for these kinds of films to be made. And, of course, then you see that portability at work in a movie like Breathless where you've got the camera in the car. 
which yeah. is not something you do in Hollywood because you can't get those big 35 millimeter cameras inside a car. That's why there's all those uh, rear projected scenes where it's like, wait a minute, Humphrey Bogart and uh, Ingrid Bergman are definitely not in that car. Uh, that's definitely, you know, shot on a set somewhere. And uh, you, you're sort of taken out of it. This is like, no, we're clearly here and the camera's moving and panning and looking at the characters and it just adds an additional energy to the film. Uh, the ability to just take it out on city streets and to shoot without permits, which was one of the things that you know, marked some of the newness of mm. Breathless, is that they just went out and shot for a while, and you see people staring at the camera, because like, what are you people doing? Mm-hmm. What's I mean, going- it made me think a lot about Tangerine, <clears throat> talking yeah. about the democratization of, of movies, and again, it's, you know, a difference between 60 millimeter versus digital or iPhone photography, but still like it's, there's a through line there. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, or even something like 28 days later. Yeah. You know, which is that DV kind of video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of those are sort of moments in which the, the technology again, sort of gained act, gave access rather, uh, to uh, different kinds of filmmakers. Now, Danny Boyle's guy working in the system and making a aesthetic He's already choice. had a couple of successful films. Right. And, yeah. So it's an aesthetic choice for him. That's why I want Tangerine, since it is coming yeah, from an indie, Baker, yeah. Yeah, an indie filmmaker working on a shoestring budget. Yeah. Right. And, you know, which, again, the, the analog there to Danny Boyle is probably uh, Soderbergh. Uh, for his uh, Unsane and other mm, you know, yeah, for yeah. iPhone movies. Sure. Um, and again, those are interesting stylistically, but it does sort of give the idea that anybody could do this. And some people have the cojones to try. And Godard is one of those men who have, you know, who are, who are able to do that kind of thing. And he was very scared. Yeah, well, uh, there's some, you know, there's some, there, there's some pull quotes from him around the time of the film. And he, yeah, he was uh, very nervous mm-hmm. about going into this endeavor. He, he wrote a nice little uh, letter to the producer that's like, thanks. Uh, I'll try not to let you down. Yeah, but it may be a disaster. That turns, and I mean, really, that was the only other option, right? It's either going to be an incredible success or an absolute train wreck. Mm-hmm. And it was an incredible success, and good on him for doing that. Mm-hmm. So um, I like that a lot. Um, let's talk about the unlikability of characters. Yeah, let's we'll, talk story. We'll, we'll, about how Michelle's such a punk. They, yeah, we don't like Michelle. And uh, why don't we like Michelle? Let's just well, he's hear. a misogynist. Yes, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, if we're going to like start at the most broad, the broadest level. I, he, All women owe him everything. Yes. Women can't drive. Uh, women never have cash. Uh, I mean, he did how he treats Gene Seberg. Uh, what's yeah. your character name? Uh, Patricia. 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 Thanks. Right. Patrice. Patricia. He calls her Patrice sometimes, but yeah. it's Patricia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're right. As soon as you said that, that rang a bell. But yeah, I mean, it starts with those kind of bigger things, as Arthur said. Like, every woman around him owes him everything. Like, he, he goes to his ex-girlfriend, asks for 5K just to see where she's keeping her money at. And right. he's like, okay, well, if you can't give me 5K, I don't want your money. And then takes her money. While she's changed her shirt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, he's just a schmuck. He's yeah. really oh, yeah. terrible. Uh, he jumps out of the car and uh, runs over and uh, lifts up someone's dress just yeah. to do it. Yeah. Just because he can. Just because he can, right. Yeah. Or the the girls he's going to pick up on the side of the road is like, oh, yeah, they're pretty. All right. Oh, wait, no, that one looks like a cow. Mm. And I mean, he's, he's terrible. He's awful. I, mean, I think I mean, he has kind of one of those backhanded compliments, I think, to Patricia as well in the car, you know, they're, you know, kind of like you, you know, not super beautiful or something like he's you know. oh, he's negging her constantly. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The negging is I saw Jordan Searless call this negging the movie or something like right, that. Right. On letterbox. And I was like, yeah, it, big time. Not <laughs> wrong. No, not wrong at all. So what, what what is Godard getting at here? What do, what do we think Godard and Truffaut are trying to do by presenting this? This sort of is, is it something to, about how noir protagonists are shit heels? Is that, is that I, what I they're getting there, at? I think there's something to that. And I, I don't think we're supposed to like it. I don't think so either. Yeah, I, I don't think the movie's no. on his yeah. side. Yeah. But the movie's not on Patricia's side either. She is also, you know, you know, 
making up her mind whether she loves this guy or not. Yeah. And, and again, is definitely the victim of this negging here. But in the end, she's like, well, either I love him and I will run away with him or I will just let him burn and die and yeah. turns him into the police. Like, if, if I decide I don't love you, I have no use for you. Yeah. And that's really the question is whether I need you or not. And yeah. uh, so she's she's not a great person either. You know, throughout yeah. the course of the film. And, of course, we got the author who's sort of predaciously sort of seeking after her. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, there yeah. are these other little bits. She has options. And she has options, yeah. There's this interesting... Uh, I didn't get to listen to all of it because it's over an hour. But there's a, a lecture on YouTube from philosopher and academic Herbert Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. I talked about this as a um, an example of Nietzsche's uh, active versus passive nihilism. Right. right with uh, Michelle being the active nihilist and her being the passive nihilist. And sort of this push and pull between the two of them of, you know, what do you want out of life? What are you willing to do to get it? Right. Uh, what are you looking for? It is... It, it is come back to many times like they both have this sort of sense of um lack of fulfillment mm-hmm. and it is sort of interesting at a character level like how they how they relate to each other and how they're different right because there's there's something going on there especially again you mentioned that 20 minute long conversation that goes on in, the, in her bedroom and it is like very much rooted in these these sorts of conversations Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of this post-Sartian kind of existentialism, you know, where you find your real, true, authentic self, and this seems to be two characters who have searched for that and have given up on the search. And so, and, and again, the way Michelle has given up on the search is that he's now just wanted people to just actively pursue whatever it is he wants at the moment. And uh, Patricia's just like, well, I'll just wait and see what happens, and maybe what, what I want will come to me. And again, sort of revelation will at some point sort of speak to me and tell me what to do. And of course it doesn't. And, uh, and so there's, there's a way in which uh, it is, again, working in uh, response or to uh, antagonize earlier sort of major French ideas, I think, as well. And so that Nietzschean mm-hmm. turn is sort of an anti-Sartian turn, um, you know, against uh, Sartre's being a nothingness uh, kind, <coughs> kind of philosophy there. And so that's interesting. Um, that it does that, yeah. Also a bit of a challenge to a family dynamic, right, mm-hmm. presented leading up to this with her pregnancy. Mm, sure. Right? Yeah. So the idea of, do I stay with this man who's possibly the father, which would uphold traditional norms, mm-hmm. especially in American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like it is kind of in that counterculture moment. Sure. Yeah. In that way. Well, again, it's like, you know, that's such a 60s option to be available to her is this idea of like, well, I've should probably hurry up and figure out if I love this guy or not, if I'm going to keep this. And they do kind of allude to, they don't ever say abortion, but they definitely kind of allude to yeah, that being an option for yeah. her, uh, which it was illegal in France in the 1960. I'm pretty sure. I know they just put out a French abortion drama, like in this, this year that's mm-hmm. set and like the time that it was illegal. So gotcha. they were not ahead of the curve on, on this by, by much from us. I don't think. Gotcha. Um, and obviously they're far ahead of the curve on us now. Um, but yeah, they, they sort of do allude to that as, as an option for her. So it's, you know, it's definitely modern uh, for its time in that regard. Right. And I, and I think the sort of empty uh, sort of nihilism of Michelle is also sort of played out in the way in which he's emulating that, that Bogart kind of character. Mm-hmm. So what has he got left? He's just imitation of an imitation. Right, yeah. uh, because obviously Humphrey Bogart is not Sam Spade, is not Philip Marlowe, is not uh, Rick Blaine. Sure, what's what's Rick's last name in, in Casablanca? I don't Ca- know. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Casablanca, isn't it? Yeah, it's Rick Casablanca. <laughs> Rick Casa- Richard J. Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, as we all know. <laughs> 
That doesn't sound like a fake Twitter handle at all. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, he's not any of those people. He is himself. Mm-hmm. But the, that's kind of a persona that he creates. And so it is this sort of uh, imitation of an imitation, simulacra, simulation kind of thing that he's doing there. And, of course, it he becomes a pumpkin spice latte of a man. Uh, I mean, that's where that the thing goes right mm. it's not none of it's real and it's entirely artificial yeah and entirely unsatisfying and he wonders why he's so dissatisfied um despite the fact that he is again doing all of the caffeine-free diet coke uh which is the most pointless drink to drink of all time uh it's and a, a fool's drink a fool some might say so i would i would dare much say. like keeping a replica pistol by your nightstand it's sort of uh all the squeeze none of the juice you know what you're correct uh, didn't think we were gonna make fun of elon musk on this episode but you never know i like it's, good, when you got a lot of ammunition lying around it's easy to do i like a good phony star joke whenever i can make one uh but anyway uh well i mean he's he's this kind of guy though right mm-hmm. like he his idea of masculinity is so much tied up in like culture's idea of masculinity and michelle is is that kind of cat i mean because bogart is such a like shining example of masculinity in this this late 50s era right in this 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 sort of hollywood matinee idol kind of way that i mean people have been trying to recapture for the 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 following 70 years Mm -hmm. i mean no nobody's uh, that's that's sort of every generation of movie star has been about like what happened to the last generation what happened to all the movie stars and where are they all gone like we we joke around about tom cruise being the last movie star and none of the marvel guys have like real charisma except for maybe chris pine and again not actually a marvel guy but like this is not a new topic of conversation and it's it's all like again simulacra simulation it's all mm-hmm. photocopies of masculine ideas and, and it's it's all going nowhere and is you know what this film maybe says and what's interesting is that it's making that observation so early yeah that uh, the, the sort of bankruptcy of that kind of idea um and again i think that's pretty fascinating that um and that godard is a man who is in love with american cinema and yet is unafraid to criticize it as well. He is he's 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 not pulling any punches. He does no um, sort of you know uh, fake sort of devotion to anything. He's like, you know, I, I love these movies and I think they're great, but also here are the problems. And he is unafraid to sort of go in that same level there. And I, I think that's really really fascinating uh, with the film as well. And again, the jump cut just that looks good the jump cut. You know, we talk about length on this show all the time. I mean, runtime is sort of the great question i think it, it, it it's so easy to get caught up in how long a movie is but i i think if you were trying to look at it as just a you know return on investment as far as like your time goes uh hard to beat a 90 minute classic mm-hmm. but it is it's also like very frustrating to uh to deal with long run times so it's i don't know it's this we've spent so much time talking about it that and we've come down in a different lane for so many different movies, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's so many short movies where, like, this could yeah. be longer. So many long movies were like, this could maybe be a little bit longer. And, and yeah. for a movie to be like, well, we have to lose half an hour. Let's just lose it within scenes. That's, like, really interesting mm-hmm. and, and yeah. kind of undeniable as, like, at a craft level. And there's, like, a really interesting kind of filmmaking idea here because we talk about something like Italian neorealism where it's so much about the moments and lingering mm-hmm. and, and the, the people. Take, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we juxtapose that with this, which is very much about cutting a lot of that mm-hmm. and really just focusing on these moments in a, a different way. But also at the same time, uh, this is a crime movie that's really not focused so much on the crime. It's really in those moments. Mm-hmm. In and, totally, yeah. Yeah, and there's a real way in which it's 
counterintuitive to something like neorealism, but also I think of a mind with that because it is about the human condition and experience, but it does it in kind of a flashier way with its editing and its cutting. Well, what it does is it, it gestures towards the realism that is, again, advocated a lot by those French critics of the 50s, of whom Godard is one of, mm-hmm. right? That they're, they, they love those long takes. They love the, the natural lighting. They love uh, the use of uh, real-life uh, locations rather than sets. No makeup. Yeah, yeah no makeup. All, all of those things are they're really, really big fans of. And Godard goes ahead and keeps some of that, the natural yeah. lighting, um, the, the, uh, the use of location, again, using that Bolex camera running all over. Uh, Paris to uh, to shoot the film, but then he goes in again, makes the device much more obvious. He goes in this really kind of modernist kind of turn here, mm-hmm. and so then uh, and, and neorealism is sort of considered to be a version, a school of modernism. But what he does is he re- retains the modernism of it, but then goes to the artifice side just a little bit. And that's where it gets the hyperconnectivity and the sort of kinetic energy that the uh, the, the film does, and and so I, I think that really really works. Yeah. And uh, as as a different kind of experience, that you do feel like these are real lived in kind of experiences of what it would be like to be a person in their twenties in nineteen sixty living in France. The moment where Michelle uh, tells the uh, American GI to go get a matchbook. Is something I really thought about as like a young person in 1960s France sort of thing. It's like that feels real. That mm-hmm. feels like it. That's that's too specific to be made up. Yeah, for me, you know, just like fuck off, get out of my country. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, that's that's the real uh, how they how they treat people who are stationed in a non a non war zone. Right. Absolutely. There's a way also in which I, mean, I remember talking about this when we did a presentation on Made in USA a long time ago, mm-hmm. wherein Godard has this way of almost editing within the shot. And the way people move, because even when the camera is static and people are still moving, there's a way in which their actions have a similar impact or effect of his cutting, which I think is a really interesting technique uh, that he uses. Or even in uh, shots, there's that moment where uh, they're in the taxi and they stop. Michelle gets out and you see through the windows, uh, there's a wider window and then the narrow window. Mm -hmm. And the way Michelle walks up uh, the frame uh, moving from the bigger camera into or bigger picture into the smaller picture of those two windows, hmm. which I think impacts movement, the dynamics of what's happening on screen, but also I think reflects editing in some ways in the way he's moving back and forth through uh, the scene mm-hmm. uh, before coming back down the frame into the car, Absolutely. which is just really interesting techniques that he's using. And again, it does again achieve the same kind of experience of realism, but in a very different kind of way mm-hmm. than you would do in a Victoria Vittorio De Sica film yeah. or in um, something by Rosalini or something like that. And so that's you know, it's very fun. Uh, I really enjoy that. I want to talk the last thing about uh, actorly ticks and Michelle rubbing his lips because this is the one part of the movie that I kind of hate. What's well, a Bogart thing, isn't it? That's what I was wondering. I was like, is this supposed to be a bogey thing? It seemed like it was. I don't know what Bogart movie it is, if it is. I think just him smoking and rubbing his lips. Yeah. Is a, I think he does it m- like more and, and more pronounced. than Right. What, but I think it is very much a tick he's picked up from watching the movies. Maybe so. That was the implication I mean, that I got. Even, especially, I mean, the match kind of with the bogey picture and stuff bingo. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like I've seen Bogart do something similar, maybe not as pronounced as what. But I think that's the thing about imitation when you imitate somebody it is over emphasis on their mannerisms things you've seen them do because that's how you know them and that's how other people might recognize them so i've always kind of correlated it back because there's a lot of emphasis on 
Bogart Michelle throughout mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and I I've just assumed it was a pickup from something he's done in a movie. Well, it, I, may, it may be an exaggeration. Like there's just one particular moment where he does yeah, that thing, and he's and, stuck on that, and he's just stuck on the yeah. one thing. Yeah, I figured it had to be a writing or directing thing because uh, Patricia, I'm uh, keep wanting to call her Amanda Sebring. That's somebody, right? Gene, Gene Sebring does it too. Amanda Seafried. <laughs> could be uh maybe that's, maybe that's, i mean that's maybe that's where i'm getting tripped up but in that last scene yeah yeah, yeah. so I, it feels like it's it's baked into the movie it doesn't feel like it's something that um Bob, uh the Bomondo, character did. Bomondo, thank you so, yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't feel like it's something he's doing because it, yeah. it feels tied into the, the film but I, I agree it is kind of i don't know about it oh a, i guess in, it's in, annoying in <laughs> memoriam <laughs> terms bill mondo also passed away this just his last year oh as well. yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah oh wow Geez, so yeah, wow, yeah. R.I.P. to to the cast and crew of Breathless. I well, guess Sebring died back in the seventies, yeah, but yeah, it's a sixty-year-old movie, though. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people are going to be we're going to be losing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, are there any final themes that we'd like to approach with Breathless? Um, I'm kind of interested in the the. Uh, I know we've mentioned this character Parvalesco. I think is the name of the writer, but it's the the uh, cameo from uh, Melville mm. um, that that happens and and. Um, Patricia goes to this like press day or whatever for they're doing the interviewing this guy. And it's, it's another one of these moments where the film is like actively like now it's time for us to talk about big questions. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of a fun sequence, but it, it's mm-hmm. interesting, like on a couple of levels, right? Like even this sophisticated articulate man, it's is, like inane ignore- stuff that he says too. it's yeah. inane stuff that he says, but he's also like actively blowing her off. And the one time he does acknowledge a question she's asked, it's only to be like, you're hot. Yeah. Like, yeah. He just he just twists into a compliment. And it's interesting, like I, I don't know like what we're doing with it. I, I don't know if it, if it's more of a commentary on sort of like how men be, but mm-hmm. it but it's sort of an interesting pause in the moment, especially late it's late in the movie. Right. It's kind of a pause in the momentum to sort of go off to this this sort of subplot uh that's that's kind of related to her working life. And and it is just showing like even even in her working life, like the men that are being held up to her as people she should like respect are treating her like shit right i wonder if there's not also something about personas in there as well mm-hmm. i mean the the i mean the idea of personas with bogart and michelle taking that on but the uh you know this big part of tourism is the director's persona mm-hmm. and and reading into that or not reading into that and to have this famous director uh, as a kind of uh inane literary author, author yeah, yeah. yeah who is Kind of talking, um, you know, in these big braggadocious kind of statements, ignoring people, people and, asking him like yeah. big questions, and he's yeah. just like, oh, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. like I, I don't know if there's maybe just maybe a like thematic thread there, kind of thing he's doing. Yeah, I think there has to be right yeah. because so much of this movie is like not so much of it, but some of the the big highlight moments of the movie are people having sort of like vaguely philosophical yeah. back and forths, mm-hmm. and that's that really does seem to be like what they're. I really wanted to get some mileage out of in this movie. Those are the moments where we're not cutting around a ton. And when we are cutting within those scenes, it is sort of to mimic the flow of dialogue, the flow of conversation. Right. And it does feel like, and I mean, you'd have to, I'm sure books have been written right about this, but I think every interaction, this has some sort of intentionality and meaning to it that you, the more familiar with it are the culture, the time, the people, whoever right. you know all that the use of thought that textual or, yeah, inner that. And intra and extra textuality of it adds meaning but even you know there's that moment where a, a teen runs up to him and she's carrying a magazine it's kaida cinema right, right. i mean right. Though, even those moments feel there's got to be something more to it right mm-hmm. and i think it really is that idea of how aware you are of everything in this movie and impacts your read of 
and meaning of it. Right, right. And that's the thorough postmodern, postmodernity of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Well, and to go back to that scene, right, it's the first moment where we get the use of the word... uh, it's it's a it's got a couple of trade there's different translations of the end of this movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a thing that's about the prints of this movie but the the word that gets translated different ways in different prints of this is uh de- de- it's disgusting mm-hmm. but it's it, it's in that that press junket with the author is like he says the word and then she says the word and you're like at the very least there's a reaction shot in her like thinking about the word and then in the closing moments of the film you know michelle says it's disgusting like presumably talking about the state of things or him dying or uh and, and the policeman translates it as saying oh he says you're disgusting right and again there's different variations on the translation but they all kind of circle back to him making a grand general statement and like the cop putting it back on gene uh so it's, it's sort of interesting that like it's a through line between these two scenes between this press junket scene and this these closing moments we have this this word come up and i just thought about it because of arthur saying like the more familiarity you have with either the film or with this period of history or with french culture or french culture in this period like it, it definitely adds layers and I, that that language that quirk of language i think is very interesting mm-hmm. and it yeah. like, adds a lot like even if you don't have like a firm grasp of both languages i think it's like it adds something to have this word kind of come back twice mm-hmm. and ha- have it as something that she's like sort of thinking on uh, and i think that is how we're supposed to feel about the pumpkin spice latte of the movie mm-hmm. right the the imitation you know i mean it's supposed to be disgusting mm. which yeah yeah, I, yeah, I definitely don't think at any point in the movie is it saying like Michelle's cool. No, mm-hmm. and when it's saying he's cool, it's saying that what is cool about him is a reflection of something that doesn't exist. Right. Okay, let's render a verdict then on Breathless. A shell for trash on Jean-Luc Godard's directorial debut, Arthur. What do you say? Uh, I'm going to throw this uh, adamantly in the trash. <laughs> this piece of garbage film. No, I, I, I. What do you want me to? You know, it, it's Breathless. I put it on the shelf for pedagogical reasons if nothing else yeah but i think it's worth seeing so yep all right what do you say dalton i'd say that pretty much echoes my own my own answer yeah okay <laughs> um i'm gonna say shelf and i like it um that i would shelf it anyway i, I don't dislike it but it's it's super good um so yeah uh that's my thought those are our thoughts on breathless we'd like to hear your thoughts and dalton will tell you how i sure will you can send your thoughts to the show uh via gmail at good trash at gmail.com that's good trash at gmail.com for that long form feedback let us know what you think about breathless or anything else uh you can uh you know uh find us taking pot shots at elon over at good trash media on twitter um that's where uh we you know post links to this show other shows in our orbit uh things that we're appearing on uh just a good general way to keep track of us at good trash media on twitter uh and last but certainly not least if you want to help keep the lights on and help us keep this operation rolling you can go to patreon.com forward slash gtm and find out what's in it for you you can get all kinds of cool rewards like picking a movie for us to talk about or having a film sent to you based on a survey we have you fill out uh again all kinds of fun stuff over there patreon.com forward slash gtm if you want more information about how uh you can help keep this show alive arthur you still have not told us (laughs) what the theme of anti-trash is this year but you now have to give us another movie. Yes, you have to give us homework now. Okay. And maybe this will elucidate us. Well, I'll just out and out tell you oh, okay. what the theme of the 2023 Anti-Trash Marathon is. Because next week, we're going to be taking a look at Saijin Suzuki's Tokyo Drifter 
as we continue our anti-trash crime movies marathon. Ah, okay. Anti-trash crime movies. Tokyo Drifter is also a Japanese New Wave film. So, uh, really? I think so. It's a, what is it, 1964? Six. Five, somewhere like that. They were drifting in the, man, they're just ahead of the curve. <laughs> it's not that kind of drifting. Oh, it's not? Damn. <laughs> no. Oh, it's the other kind of drifting, I it's see. It's 66, isn't it? And a tight 82 minutes. I like oh, the link. Oh, that's hard to beat. Ooh, what a joy. I don't, I have no familiarity with this film whatsoever. I've always been enamored with the Criterion cover of this. Uh, and so, I, I think crime will be a fun a thread to follow. I mean, there's lots of movies about it. It is sort of one of the go-tos. If you need a picture, a thing you can introduce is some crime. This is not. Tr- this is not not wrong. Yeah, absolutely, no. I agree. I mean, isn't the making up breathless come from uh, somebody having a crack about all you need is a gun and a girl? Gun and a girl. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So we'll we'll see if that hypothesis holds water this marathon, I suppose, uh, across many many ponds. So you keep watching, and we'll keep talking, dear listener, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.